Welcome to Talking Industrial Automation presented by The Reynolds Company, an authorized distributor for Rockwell Automation. This show features conversations with the automation specialists from The Reynolds Company, explaining the evolving landscape of products, services, and solutions for industrial controls and automation. Now, on with today's episode. Welcome to Talking Industrial Automation, the podcast from The Reynolds Company an authorized Rockwell Automation Distributor. I am Wayne Wilk, your host for this episode. Today, I'll be joined by Joe Belaski, an Automation and Networking Specialist, as we present Part 3 of our Industrial Networking Series, a look at the various Ethernet networking topologies used on the plant floor. In our previous episodes in this series, we discussed physical media and access switches. And over the next several episodes, we will continue to have topics on industrial networking and the converged plant-wide Ethernet or CPWE. Be sure to check the show notes for any useful links about the topics we will discuss in this episode. And also check out our industrial networking webinars. Recent seminars are posted to our YouTube channel. A link will be provided in the show notes. Now, let's welcome Joe to the podcast. Hello, Joe. Thanks for joining us. Glad to be here. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your uh, what you do with the Reynolds Company. I'm one of the automation specialists based out of Houston, uh, covering PLC, HMI, different control systems, and doing a lot of uh, work on the networking side and have a background from system integrator and uh, OEM and working for Reynolds for about eight years. So the idea of this episode is to talk about networking topology. We talked about access switches and physical media in our last two episodes, and we wanted to maybe start to tie that together into how we bring the pieces together into the various topologies. So what are some of the typical networking topologies we would see on the point floor? Uh, There's actually quite a few, and some of them based back to old topologies we've used on other networks. So linear topologies are fairly common. Um, We also do a lot of star topologies and then ring. So we still are able to do the ring topologies. Uh, There are a couple other topologies out there which are just similar to those, uh, redundant star and so on. Basically, the, the topologies out there are mimicking some of the older topologies that we've used over the years and and meet some of the different requirements of the plant. Such as some of the older like serial topologies we used to see, I guess, very daisy chain, how we kind of progressed from daisy chain to to more, I guess, sophisticated networking topologies. Yes. Yeah. So that's one of the reasons that we still have a lot of the linear topologies out there is they just work very well with the layout of existing equipment. Any advantage from one topology of another, such as like a star versus ring or versus even the, the daisy chain approach to Ethernet? Uh, actually, there are. There's quite a few different advantages to doing different topologies, uh, some of them based off of where equipment is, how it's connected, just layout of cabling and how, how easy it is to get from one place to the other. And then the other one is uptime and what you're trying to do with uptime. Uh, so if you're doing a linear topology and you have a device that's in the middle of that line that is typically taken out of service, that would probably be a poor design is you would end up losing all the devices after that every time you take that device out of service. So there are reasons to use other topologies. And so one of the ones that we typically use and stuff like MCCs is a combination of a linear ring for the top level of the PL or of the MCC, but we use a star typically within the actual MCC itself, and that allows us to be able to take different individual buckets out of service 
and keep the rest of the network up and running. So there's different reasons for doing some of these different topologies. Yeah, so it's interesting. So we can actually mix topologies on the plant floor? So we can actually mix rings and stars together? Yes, yes. Now there are some additional things to look at on those as far as getting information back and forth and convergence times and things like that. If there is, if you're doing a ring and looking at how fast it will recover so one of the ring protocols that Rockwell uses is device level ring. And the benefit of that is that it recovers very, very quickly, typically in the three millisecond range. And where most other ring topologies typically take excess of a second or longer to recover. And in an industrial plant network, that is an eternity. Yeah, convergence time is very important. You want to keep your operations running. So three milliseconds on DLR, that, that's that's really, I think that's the fastest convergence time there is, right, available? Um, effectively, there's a couple other pieces out there that basically don't have a convergence time because they're basically passing data in two different directions continuously. So like a PRP, parallel redundancy protocol, where you have data going down two separate paths at the exact same time is very similar to some of our old control net networks where we had an A and B channel. Yeah, it's an interesting point because we do get that question quite a lot about customers that use control net and have the, the parallel control net networks. And when they want to move to Ethernet, we didn't have that capability in Ethernet, at least not initially. But today we do, right? Yeah, correct. Yeah, we've always tried to use a device level ring for a lot of those applications to give us that single fault tolerant capability. But with the uh, PRP, we're actually able to go to that next level, which a lot of customers are after. Yeah, I know we always get into a lot of discussions around device level rings, and I know it's a single point of failure, right? So maybe explain that a little bit, a single point of failure versus perhaps like, like the PRP with redundant media path. DLR basically is a, a ring. So with that ring, you lose any individual point on it. You cut a cable, one of the switches goes down, or one of the network devices goes down. You're left with a linear topology. So the one part that went down is no longer in service, but the rest of it is still working properly. The goal with that is to repair it quickly so that you get your ring back before something else goes wrong. And so one of the main reasons we don't use ring in MCCs and stuff like that, as far as within the buckets, is you take one bucket down, you now have a linear. You take a second bucket down and everything between the two that is not on the controller side has now been dropped off the network. So it's a similar concept with all of our other device level ring network. Now, one of the things that we do typically see when it comes to device level ring and stuff like that is we have the discussion on which how your machine is laid out and how your process is. So if you're do, doing a simple in-cabinet system, device level ring doesn't sometimes make sense. Because if you lose any individual component, the machine's going to come to a screeching halt anyways. What's the, the benefit of the uptime? So we do have a lot of discussions about the different uptime and resiliency and the need for them. Because if your line is going to stop if you lose any individual component anyways, having the network uptime doesn't necessarily gain you much. So it really comes down to a discussion around the risk, you know, risk around the network going down and the, and the, I guess the risk of the operations if the network were to um, have two points of failure, perhaps in the ring versus going with a redundant star topology of some sort. Right. Then redundant star topologies are, are excellent, but there's uh, sometimes little issues with convergence times and stuff like that down on the controller level, dealing between the controller and I.O. So typically between controller to controller, looking at a line, you can slow things down a little bit to handle those reconvergence times. But going from controller to I.O., we're typically looking at 20 millisecond update times. And most of those uh, other topologies just don't converge fast enough if something falls apart, you know, if something breaks. 
Yeah, so so DLR ring you said was three milliseconds, whereas some redundant star topologies could be as as slow as twenty milliseconds. Actually, some of the redundant star topologies can run run you well beyond six seconds. So it just depends on the on the protocols being used and the setup of the network and how the system fails over. And some of the other protocols that we use on that, you know, similar to redundant stars, we typically use some of the other spanning tree protocols and. So those protocols are great, and they prevent rings and things like that from taking down your network that aren't supposed to be there. But their reconvergence times are in excess of six seconds in most most cases. It's actually a good segue into um, a discussion around network storms, and and I suppose you know some things as we design networks or as customers install networks on their plant floor, ways to prevent network storms, or I guess what is a network storm first, and and how do we go about preventing those? Well, the most common network storm is when you take a cable and plug two ports back together on a switch, and effectively everything going out one port goes in the other one and back out and around and around and around in a feedback loop. So the easiest way to prevent that feedback loop is to use something like span, spanning tree protocol, rapid spanning tree protocol, or something like that, which basically detects the, the loops and will cancel them out. Now, it doesn't always work port to port on a single device, but it is definitely designed from device to device. And so those functionalities are used to basically limit the amount of rings that are, are there. So they're there to d- detect a ring and block them out. So sometimes you want a ring. You know, device-level ring, we're designing one, a, a, a ring. But in the case of a normal star topology, if you end up with a ring, that can be bad. And one of the other pieces that we typically use for that management on that is a QoS, so quality of service. So there's a couple different pieces to that, but we also use some of the port thresholding, too. Mm-hmm. So you can go in and, say, and set upper limits on ports and stuff like that on how many packets can come through in a second. So if you end up with a some sort of a, a loop or a ring or something like that, the port will shut itself off because there's so much data coming through in that feedback storm. So you can help limit an, an alarm based off of that. One of the real benefits of using managed switches. That's a set, so that's a setting or a configuration inside the managed switch that you would make for that? Yes. So the, the port thresholding is a, the, set you, the setting you use on any individual port where you can set an upper limit to how many packets can come through it in a short period of time. And it will basically turn itself off if too many packets come through. Then keep itself off as long as those packets keep coming. So it allows you to limit those storms and stuff that you have on the network if something was inadvertently to go wrong. And again, it also throws alarms to let you know that there are different things going on that nowhere to go look. So our Stratix line of managed switches would have that QoS or quality of service threshold port threshold settings. Yeah, so the port threshold settings definitely exist in our managed switches. Uh, quality of service exists in our full firmware version of switches. So the 5700s with full firmware and the uh, 5400 series switches, as well as the 58s that are coming, 5800s. And quality of service is a little bit different and it allows us to say what's the most important thing to talk. And so it really takes us to the next step of I've got a mixed network because, you know, we use Ethernet for pretty much everything nowadays. And it allows us to say, if I'm going to get a phone call, voice over IP, out on the plant floor next to a machine running over the same network that the machine is on, I would rather have a poor quality phone call and have my machine continue to run than have a clear phone call and end up in a fault condition. And so quality of service allows us to dictate which types of communication take priority. So we can do that through classification, saying that these types of communications, specifically SIP protocol is a higher classification, higher priority. Uh, Precision time protocol, PTP, uh, SIP sync basically, is a high priority. 
and voice over IP is a lower priority. So we can use classification to set that. So then the packets can be marked as they're coming through the switches. And then basically at the, on the backside, there's a, a policing algorithm that's used to help set which packets get the priority. And then basically there's some congestion management that's used to, to basically say the priority packets go first, other packets get held until there's time. And then under, under the worst case, there's some congestion avoidant capabilities within there as well, where some packets just get dropped because the bandwidth isn't going to exist. So at, at that point, you're getting close to a full, a full network anyways. That's a great point because, I, because the, the priority of the data on the plant floor is completely different from the, the priority of data perhaps in the, uh, in the enterprise side or the IT side of the, of the business, right? Oh, absolutely. And the priority of the network and also the, the uptime designs of the network, typically on the enterprise side of the, of the plant, you're looking at security first and failover times are not that important. You hit send on an email twice or something's delayed a second when you're downloading a file that's annoying, but it's not a big deal. On the plant network side, downtime of any time, sometimes in upwards of even 20 milliseconds is a giant deal. And so change, failover uh, network reconvergence updates, those kind of things are typically need to be scheduled, you know, if you're going to be doing network maintenance, you know, where in the enterprise, sometimes that can be done live because the downtime is going to be less than a minute or something like that and go have a cup of coffee and come back. The other piece is the priority of the, of the traffic, you know, email versus voice over IP versus camera, your CCTV setups and stuff like that, IP cameras and things for security. You know, you want a clear video feed in, in the front of the plant. You typically want that on the enterprise side. But when you're out there on the plant floor, again, you typically want the machine to run. And poor quality video is the price you pay. So let's go back to spanning tree for a minute. You, know, you had mentioned that. So the Stratix line, that the, manage, the Stratix managed switches, such as the, the 5700 and the 5400, they do offer spanning tree, right? So I know there's a few different types of spanning tree or a few different flavors of it. Could you maybe elaborate what those differences are? Yeah, so there's spanning tree protocol, STP, which is the, the basic level. So every all of the others kind of stem from spanning tree protocol. So basically what spanning tree protocol does is it looks at the individual switches and turns off ports if there's a ring, if it detects that there's a broadcast storm effectively coming uh, because of ring setups. And so basically one of the switches ends up as a master and basically pushes down to all of the other switches which ports need to be turned on and off. And so there's a couple of downsides to it. The upside is you don't have storms on accident. Uh, the, one of the downsides is that it is slow if you ever unplug one cable and want it to reconverge going the other direction. The other one is that you don't always get optimal traffic flow because it basically chooses which switches turn off which ports and you don't necessarily get to control that. So there's a priority you can push into the system to help shape the traffic flows a little bit, but you don't always get the, the level of control you want. So you can definitely get less than optimal traffic flow through the different parts of the network. And then the next one is multiple, or is a rapid spanning tree, which is the, the, the second one, which is the next iteration, basically, of spanning tree protocol, which improves some of the convergence times and things like that. That's the rapid piece of it. And basically, it's this similar functionality still has a, a bunch of the similar flaws as far as uh, not optimal traffic flows. And then the last one is the multiple spanning tree protocol, which basically allows a simplification of VLAN spanning tree. So it allows you to tie different virtual LANs or different uh, portions of your network together so they all use the same spanning tree setup, which can limit some of the uh, CPU utilization of your switch to manage those networks. So typically, when we're talking about those, again, those are 
to deployed a lot when it comes to enterprise side and we we normally leave them on on the uh, industrial side of the plant network but we don't typically rely upon those as our main source of failover so going back to network resiliency a little bit, we are going to do a, a whole episode on resiliency later in this networking series, but perhaps anything else to share about networking resiliency or, or some simple ways to, to design more resiliency into plant networks? The easiest one is going to be device level ring. That one gives you that single fault tolerant network, and that's the one that's easiest to deploy. It's the easiest to use on the industrial plant floor because it recovers so quickly, and we have a lot of devices that natively support it. So that's going to be the easiest one to give you any resiliency. Beyond that, we've got new products coming out and that are out that allow for parallel redundancy protocol, which basically allows you to have two separate networks that run in parallel where data is sent out on both of them and hit the other end and the first one wins. And so if one of the devices goes down or one of the networks goes down, the other one's still running continuously. Uh, there's a lot of added cost to that because you're buying two sets of hardware now, basically, but is a, a very, very robust system. And then we typically see a lot of the redundant star capabilities. And normally we see that going up into the enterprise level. So when you start getting up into the uh, the different software and server level systems, so from the controller toward the server side, not necessarily from the controller to the I.O. And those systems typically are using stacked switches, things like that, where you have switches that are running in, in backup, hot backup, live, you know, using different protocol and ways of getting to the switches of either flex links or ether channel or something like that, which basically allows you to aggregate two ports headed out of your local switch up to the stack switch. And so those functionalities basically let you have some additional resiliency. And and there's a lot of different pieces that go along into those. Rockwell has actually published an entire line of white papers and design guides with the help of Cisco for managing a lot of a lot of those different types of networks because each one of those different protocols and setups has pros and cons. So there's different protocols that work better for different parts of the layout. That's great. Yeah. So we definitely need to do a, a better episode on just resiliency alone. So we'll we'll dig deeper into that here in, in a future show. Well, I think that's all we got for today, Joe. I really appreciate you joining us. This has been great, great information. Thanks for sharing that. It's been a pleasure being here. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Reynolds Company Industrial Automation Podcast. For support, please see our website, reynoldsonline.com. For those who are outside our area of Texas and southern Louisiana, please visit rockwellautomation.com and you can find your local Rockwell distributor there. Thank you again, and we will see you next week for part four in this series on industrial networking.